Hello everyone and welcome back to the AirPod, your one-stop shop for all the latest goings-on with the British royal family. I'm of course your host, Omid Scobie, joined by, what do I call you, Zoe? Ex- producer extraordinaire or the woman behind pretty much all the royals content on ABC News and Good Morning America. Zoe Mickey, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Hello, Omid, and hello, everyone. <laughs> I'm very excited to be back on the AirPod. You're joining me in the passenger seat this week because, of course, our dear Maggie Rooley is off on a foreign assignment. There'll be more details about that from her if you follow her on social media, um, but certainly one to look out for. But we, Zoe, have a lot to get through this week, and I feel like the theme this week is very much the Cambridges and the Sussexes getting on with their work, doing what both sides do best. So we'll be getting into all of the details about the big Cambridge rebrand, Kate's big week, the Sussexes focusing on vaccine equity, and of course, Archie's birthday. But before that, there have been other royals out and about this week. We don't want to leave them out. Prince Charles was out paying an emotional tribute to his dear father this week, uh, speaking to soldiers who took part in his funeral, uh, telling them that they did him proud. Uh, He, of course, has taken over from his father as a colonel of the Welsh Guards in 1975. And this is something, of course, we know he's extremely proud of. It was a poignant engagement for him, I think, this week, right? Yeah, it was lovely. And it was, I mean... It, it was poignant and him thanking all the soldiers, he did it in a very nice way. And you could see that the soldiers were genuinely touched by it all as well, because they obviously had immense respect for Prince Philip, as many people in the military do. So it was it was good to, to sort of see them both appreciating each other and acknowledging the contribution that Prince Philip had made. But I would also add to the out and about this week, uh, Camilla, Prince Charles's wife, the Duchess of Cornwall, she was... Um, fulfilling another duty which was, was related to Prince Philip really she was um she had taken over one of the last times we saw Prince Philip publicly was when he handed over the uh, colonelship of the rifles so Camilla was out visiting that regiment this week and I, in fact they've all they've all I was just before we started this I was sort of having a review of what everyone's been up to it's been a fairly busy week it has I think after of course the royal mourning period a lot of the engagements that were sort of stacked up during that time are now taking place now we've seen a few things delayed but yes you're right that's that role the military role that camilla took on in i think it was july 2020 it came after prince philip had retired it was a position he had held since the rifles was formed in 2007 and although we don't really see camilla taking on many military roles i think it's one that she took on with pride because of course we know she had a close relationship with the Duke of Edinburgh and so I think to see both Charles and Camilla out this week continuing that sort of effort to remember his work his life his legacy is great and I think we'll see a lot more of that from members of the royal family over the weeks and months ahead I don't think that that sort of period is over when it comes to remembering the Duke's life. No, and I would also say it's a, it's a natural part of mourning as well. It goes through stages, doesn't it? And you find it very painful to talk about someone who's died. And then the next thing that happens is that all you want to do is talk about them and remember them. So I, I suspect we will be, and you're right, we will be hearing more, more about Prince Philip in the coming weeks. Mm, celebration of his life. And we've had, of course, a celebration of young life. This past week, Princess Charlotte turned six, looking very grown up 
I yeah. would say. The new portrait released by Kensington Palace featured Charlotte in a blue floral dress, hair down. It was taken by the Duchess of Cambridge very recently at their home in Norfolk. I think we're used to sort of seeing these annual portraits of the kids taken by Kate. Uh, but I think for this one, I don't know if it, why, but it took me by surprise how she'd suddenly gone from being a tot to almost sort of a young lady. Yeah, like definitely a confident little girl by the looks of that, that photograph. And it was a lovely photograph, lovely and colourful and wearing a sort of, as you say, a floral dress, which we've seen Kate wearing similar things. No, it was nice to see. And, and it's always nice to see photographs taken by their mother because obviously she knows the subjects better than anyone else and always captures very, very good images. Mm. I was talking to a photographer friend the other day, uh, a fairly prolific photographer. He said that he had really noticed how much Kate's photography skills had sort of progressed over the years. The little things that maybe only experts would notice mm -hmm. in photography, they're starting to see perhaps some of the maybe more amateur signs of, of in, in, in a sort of less experienced photographer's pictures starting to disappear and she's really sort of showing that polish and that she's putting the time in. And I, I was just going to say that she gets very natural shots and if you have a photographer and it's more of a photo shoot type of type thing then you're not going to get the natural reaction or poses that she gets from her children. Yes. Uh, speaking from experience, I think my best childhood pictures were the candid shots and not the forced professional yeah. portraits that I hope that anyone visiting my parents' house never see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, these pictures were not seen on the Kensington Palace Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts uh, on the day of Charlotte's birthday because, of course, Prince William had joined a national or even global boycott against social media, um, coinciding, of course, with Charlotte's sixth birthday, his wife Kate joining him in that. For those that don't know, uh, the football community in England had uh, announced a boycott of social media, standing up against the big social media firms for not taking enough action against online abuse, racial hatred. So Prince William, as the president of the Football Association, took on that role himself. He announced it himself on Twitter uh, with the, the tweets that we've come to know, signed by W, saying that he was in joining the entire football community in that boycott. And the boycott really travelled much further. I saw people from all sort of different sporting worlds taking place in this. Yeah. And and it was it was, you know, good for William for speaking up like he did. And as you say, it's not that often that we see a tweet signed off personally by him with W. And for this, he obviously felt very strongly about it and um, wanted to tell the world. Mm. We, of course, have seen William join efforts in sort of dealing with online bullying before those efforts with the Diana Awards uh, didn't really come to the sort of climax that they had of hopes and he at the time this was uh, I can't even remember a few years ago spoke about how disappointed he was that social media companies weren't seeing where the problems were and so of course efforts like this really hammer that message home because you know this of course was led by some of the biggest football players or soccer players I should say in the world all taking a stand against online abuse it'll be very interesting to see if he continues with this yeah well, and, and one would imagine he would, but we also know that this is a subject that um, 
his brother and his sister-in-law feel very passionately about and have been doing lots of campaigning on as well. Yes. Uh, some people, of course, commenting online or questioning online uh, why the Duke of Cambridge had been silent uh, when Harry and Meghan faced uh, their own issues online. Of course, we'll never know the answer to it, but it is something that comes up, I think, and probably would continue to come up as for as long as William talks about this. Yeah, but I would also say that um, I can't remember exactly when it was. It was a couple of years ago, but there was an investigation by Kensington Palace, and I think they worked with some of the social media companies because there had been so much abuse, not just of, of the Duchess of Sussex, but also the Duchess of Cambridge, and a lot of pitting them each other, themselves against, pitting those two women against each other. And some of the comments were just, I mean, just horrendous. So he's probably feeling protective of his wife as well. The last thing you ever want is for people's freedom to express their views and opinions to be restricted in any way. But at the same time, I think, you know, you know as well as I do, I think you spend more than a few minutes in, on Twitter. You can immediately see, especially in comments on the stories, how big the problem is. Um, certainly for me, covering the royals, I feel like I can't tweet a story without a war going on. Um, underneath which then takes away some of the fun of the actual beat itself because ultimately we're sort of uplifting great work being done by members of the royal family yeah i mean that essentially the royal beat should be a very positive one and it's very sad when it does all go sour on social media which does happen fairly often hmm well, we saw Prince Harry taking his own stand, calling for equitable vaccine distribution at the Vax Live concert yeah. at the wow. weekend. This was really his first big on-stage or sort of public moment since moving over to the US. We had seen many pictures of them. We had seen him doing things uh, that were either pre-recorded, whether it was interviews or private engagements, Zoom calls. But this was his first time in front of an audience and you know, I had a couple of friends that were there. The rapturous applause yeah, received, it was... that standing ovation, I think would have been the sort of welcome that he had been hoping to receive yeah. during the past year in the US. Yeah, I mean, it was quite something. He did, he did have the, the rock star vibe about him, didn't he, as he walked on stage? And there's quite a few photographs of him sort of punching the air and pumping people up and... I mean, obviously, he was talking about the amazing work that all um, healthcare professionals have done. So, you know, no wonder he got a standing ovation, because what he was saying was very, very true. They do deserve a, a, more than a round of applause, frankly. Of course, this concert was for Global Citizen, which the couple had actually been picked not just to join as guests, but they were also campaign chairs for the initiative that uh, Global Citizen had started. They've been quietly leading an effort in recent weeks to raise money for the vaccine sharing programme program COVAX. It's, for those that don't know, an organisation that's working towards producing, is it $19 billion to cover vaccines for medical workers and providing vaccines for low and middle income countries. And so, Harry spoke about this on stage, also acknowledging the crisis currently taking place in India. And to say that he was passionate about the subject, I think, is uh, pretty spot on. Yeah, yeah. And and so so he should be. So should we all be, because Kovacs' mantra is we're not safe until we're all safe, because 
the the vaccine vaccination around the world is it, it it's it's to say it's unfair is is an under it's a total understatement. The developing world are doing okay. Some places better than others, but um, I'm sorry. Let me start that again. The developed world are doing okay, but the developing world is in serious trouble, and we can see what happens when you don't vaccinate, and that's what's happening in India now. Their vaccination drive did not get off to the start that it was expected, and now the virus is completely running rampant. And one area that's a massive concern is is Africa, because there is a very, very low vaccination there. So people are worried that that we may be, we may look at, we may be seeing a similar thing in India happening there sometime soon. So it's it's a it's a subject that will obviously be close to Harry's heart because it touches on lots of areas that, that he cares about, but it should also be a subject close to all of our hearts because it, it's going to affect all of us. Absolutely. Well, Vax Live, I think that the tag for it is that it's the concert to re- reunite the world. I think as we record this, India has registered more than 400,000 new cases in a 24-hour period, and they continue to struggle to treat patients amid their storage of beds and oxygen. Uh, Vax Live, I think, already have announced, I mean, this hasn't even gone out on air yet. This will air on Saturday on May 8th across ABC, ABC News Live, YouTube, pretty much anywhere. And of course, part of this is also raising money. Vax Live said they've already raised more than $53.8 million in philanthropic and corporate commitments to vaccine procurements, medical tools and supplies. And that's already exceeded their goal. Um, and what was great about this event was, of course, you know, I couldn't quite imagine how it was going to work when they first announced it, because all I think of with a concert, and it's quite a lineup, they've got Foo Fighters, J Balvin, Her, J-Lo, Eddie Vedder. It's, it, it, it's, it's quite a big event. I think it's California's biggest live event in over a year. Um, was how they were going to fill the audience. Uh, but they got around it by cleverly inviting fully vaccinated frontline medical and essential workers only. So sort of a thank you to them as well. And we heard Harry echo that thanks in his speech. The vaccinated frontline workers in the audience and the millions of frontline heroes around the world. You spent the last year battling courageously and selflessly to protect us all. You've served and sacrificed, put yourselves in harm's way and acted with bravery knowing the cost. We owe you an incredible debt of gratitude. Thank you. Of course, Megan wasn't at the event itself being a live event and her being in the the later stages of her pregnancy but we do hear from sources that she has recorded something special to air alongside the screening of the concert itself so do definitely look out for that but of course we did hear from Harry and Meghan in their role as campaign chairs for Vax Live um, writing an open letter So Harry and Meghan's letter was addressed to the heads of Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson and Novavax in, of course, their roles as campaign chairs. And whilst there was praise for the CEOs in their letter for leading a development of a safe and effective vaccines against the, the virus, they did speak about the emphasis on the power of collaboration when it came to working towards a shared goal. 
um, that they, but they wrote that the rollout had been marred by systemic injustice, writing that the uh, pandemic has exacerbated health, social and economic inequality globally, and that the global vaccine rollout thus far further deepens the, these disparities with the poorest and most marginalised populations most adversely impacted. Yeah, well, they're right. But in, in Big Pharma's defence, they have allocated certain numbers of doses to the COVAX programme. And the COVAX programme got off to an OK start, but it's now hitting supply issues. And one of the reasons it's hitting such major supply issues is because the Serum Institute in India is one of the world's, and not the world's, uh, biggest vaccine manufacturer by volume. And their supplies are being diverted to India, given what's happening there. And they've, they've been um, under a certain amount of political pressure to give more of their vaccines to their own country. So everything's slightly grinding to a halt because lots of those vaccines from India were destined for Africa. And, and as I said before, Africa is an area where there is, has been very, very low vaccination and is an area of concern for everyone. Mm, these are no doubts issues that each of the pharmaceutical companies are dealing with. And as Harry and Meghan write in their letter, uh, they sort of acknowledge the efforts that have been made so far, but have asked for, they've sort of listed a, a number of, uh, I don't want to say demands, but specific actions for the manufacturers to carry out. So for Moderna, they asked for them to move up their delivery schedule with COVAX, increasing the promised 2021 volume of vaccinations to at least 100 million doses. They asked the same from Pfizer, and they asked for all five manufacturers to end opposition to the temporary suspension of intellectual property and work together with the global community to achieve that universal access. Yeah. So the, this the, is... The oh, I, sorry. This, no, sorry, but the, the waiving of the IP rights is, is a hot topic at the moment. And, and as you know, Biden has supported it, well, his, his administration has. And so uh, the EU have come out pretty much in favour of doing similarly but I, we've yet to hear really how Boris Johnson and the UK feel about it there are other countries that are opposed to it Angela Merkel said yesterday that she was in favour of actually protecting the IP rights it's a fairly complicated area it does seem um, the general consensus is this could help with with uh, increasing production but um, we'll just have to see I don't think anything's going to be decided until the, the uh, the WTO all get together and, and thrash it out properly. But I would say one thing that people often forget when talking about vaccine supply and big pharma and all these things, A, it's absolutely extraordinary that we've got vaccines quite as quickly as we have. And B, the AstraZeneca Oxford University vaccine is being manufactured at cost. They're not making a huge profit. We saw some some fairly large numbers from Big Pharma last week about the ones that are making a profit. But I think we all need to acknowledge Pascal Soria and, and his team who, who aren't making a huge profit of this and who are genuinely doing this for the greater good and trying to get their vaccine to lower income countries. Absolutely. And I think that we will see that during the Vax Live event itself. It's not only, of course, a call for vaccine equity, but it is also a celebration of the achievements that have been made so far. Um, that letter that Harry and Meghan have written is, I think they need 20,000 actions taken, that signatures on it. Currently it has 5,600, so a fairly slow build up on that. Um, but I also think that there's a lot happening this week. Um, and most notably, of course, Archie's birthday. <laughs> 
this was a cute moment. We had not only had a new picture from the couple of Archie in his garden, I presume, um, in jeans and Nikes, which for, for a royal kid is, is, is very welcome because I think sometimes the dress code can be a little too traditional. <laughs> but uh, this was, I, I think, as we've come to, ex- to, to uh, experience from the Sussexes, it was a, a photograph of Archie, but not particularly clear. I think this is their way of sort of trolling the world. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit tantalising, wasn't it? Like, here he is, but you can't see his face. But it was still exactly. very sweet. Um, they did that when he was first born as well, didn't they? We saw his hand or his foot and um, sort of a little snippet, but not the full picture. Exactly. But as we've uh, come to expect from the Sussexes, the photo did not arrive on its own. It also came with a call to action for those that supported them and wanted to celebrate Archie's birthday to launch a charitable initiative in honour of his birthday. And so this was the couple encouraging the public to make donations to Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, to help provide COVID-19 vaccine equity for underprivileged nations, as we've spoken about. And they've also partnered with Global Citizen to secure donation matches from MasterCard, uh, the Sea Dream Family Foundation for up to $3 million. So wow. this is a, a, a separate fundraising initiative that they've overseen, again, in their role as campaign chairs. I think it's great that they're stepping outside of Archwell to also help other initiatives and other organisations, because I remember very early on when they stepped back from their roles, uh, those working with them said that they also wanted to be able to uplift the work being done by others, and it wouldn't always be about Archwell. So it's, it's interesting to see that sort of happening now, particularly at a time when they really could do whatever they want. But before you think that is it for the Sussexes this week, they have been busy because we also started the week with the announcement that Megan is officially a children's book author. Uh, the Bench was announced by Penguin Random House as a book, children's book, inspired by a Father's Day poem that she had written for Prince Harry and their son Archie. And I would say we're sort of continuing to see the Duchess's resume grow. Hey? Mm. But also joining in the long line of tradition of royal authors. When I was a child, I was given uh, the Prince of Wales's Old Man of Loch Nagar, which was a lovely children's book. So she's definitely not the first, and nor will she be the last royal to write a book. But it does look very sweet, and I particularly th- I thought the illustrations looked brilliant. They did. Uh, she had partnered with the award-winning artist Christian Robinson, who's California-based, uh, been behind a number of big and successful children's books. He's also worked with the Sesame Street Workshop, Pixar Animation Studios, uh, a really great um, line of work behind him. But of course, yeah, this book focuses on that special bond between a father and son viewed through a mother's eyes. And yeah, as you say, I, Megan joins a sort of long list of royal children's book authors. I remember as a kid, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this one, Budgie the Little Helicopter. Yes, Sarah Ferguson. I, yeah. Sarah Ferguson. Did she hmm. voice it or did she write it? I, mean, I, really, I think she wrote it. it. Classic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure if that one travelled overseas so much, but it was, it was, it was a laugh. Pre-orders for the book are already up. It is skyrocketing, skyrocketing up the charts on Amazon US. I think it was number one on their movers and shakers list within a few hours of it being announced. And I would imagine, I don't know if you agree with me. I think this is probably the beginning of a sort of long 
long career doing children's books for Megan and perhaps testing the waters for other writing in the future? Yeah, well, we know she likes to write and she's very good at it, so why not? But this was not the only book, the only royal book that came out this week. But I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but I was looking on the Amazon charts and someone else is doing quite well too. Yes, over here in the UK, Duchess of Cambridge and her efforts with the Hold Still coffee table book, uh, currently at number one. And um, we'll be getting right into that after the break. Welcome back. Well, if you're anywhere in the UK as we record this, you may or may not have bumped into a copy of Hold Still, A Portrait of Our Nation in 2020. You'll remember last year, Kate joined the National Portrait Gallery in her role as patron to lead an effort to bring together photos from across the country that spoke to and illustrated the experiences lived by people in the country during our first national lockdown. Uh, Those photos went on to become gallery exhibition online and and now a new photography book and to celebrate the launch of the book today as we record this friday may 7th kate has joined is it the book fairies yeah the book fairies so the book fairies are uh, it's an organization that leaves books around for people to enjoy and uh, kate became a book fairy today and she took a copy of hold still out and I think the theme today was the idea that you would leave uh, lots of people who were involved with Hold Still, other people whose photographs had been in it or people who had been involved in producing it or had one. And they were leaving it places which were special to them during the pandemic or had helped them. So some people left it in parks that they'd been to or, I don't know, a favourite bench that they'd sat on when they went for their walk, things like that. But Kate took hers to the fountain um, just outside Kensington Palace near the Queen Victoria statue. And there's a lovely little video from Kensington Palace social media team of her laying the book down. And inside the book is a nice letter. And whoever, who presumably whoever found it, that's it. Off they do. Take it home. Well, you say that, but the letter, I think, encourages you. So when you finished reading the book to put it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So technically, these books could be just sort of roaming around the country. So <laughs> well, I'd imagine most people, if they find a book signed by the Duchess of Cambridge, are probably going to keep it. Or put it on eBay, dare I say it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will say this probably wasn't the most discreet of secret locations. <laughs> in the video it was prominently placed outside the statue of queen victoria i Um, wonder how long and whether you know she put it down and someone was right behind her picking up oh thank you very much definitely well that could have been me we were of course there with good morning america just the day before at exactly the same time so poor timing i know imagine if you'd been there we could have caught her as well on camera Um, But this has been a very big week for her. Not only was it the launch of the Hold Still photo book that, of course, she not only helped curate but wrote the forward to, um, but this is also the week that we saw Kate's, I guess, step into the YouTube space alongside Prince William for the the first time. This is the Cambridges rebranding their social media. No longer are they at Kensington Royal on Instagram anymore. They are the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And alongside that was the YouTube channel that launched alongside a rather snazzy sort of compilation clip with some bloopers oh, and highlights yeah. from, from the past. Year. I really liked the video. I mean, I, I always love bloopers, but I really liked the video and I thought it showed them in a good light. And I actually thought it was quite slickly produced. I thought it was good. I thought it was a very good introduction 
And then, of course, they also used it um, to help launch the Hold Still book. So you can see that that it is a good platform to promote their work, which I think is the idea. It's to try and reach a different audience from their Instagram and Twitter followers. They're also going to add YouTube. What's a YouTube? Is it a YouTube follower? Subscriber? Subscribers. Um, subscribers. Um, and I, I looked just before we got on and they've already got over 2 million views. Oh, wow. So that's, that's grown quickly. Yeah. And as you say, yes, there was also a video posted the following day. I think it was the first of a series of phone calls that the Duchess had had with participants from the Hold Still project. Uh, the first one being young Mila, who many of you will remember the story of. She's one of the stars of the Hold Still book. Um, Kate spoke to, I don't think, don't think she spoke to all 100 finalists, but spoke to many of them about their shared experiences of life during the first lockdown and their experience of having their image in the Hold Still exhibition. It is very cute. Do you want to tell me about your daddy? How come you couldn't see him for so long? Because he had to look after me because I went for treatment. Yeah. And was it really hard not seeing him? Yeah. When he came into the house, I was, like, so surprised. Did he have to be a very brave girl with Mummy? Mm-hmm. Well, we love your photograph. <laughs> Do you have a costume? I'm not wearing a princess costume right now, I'm afraid, Mila. <laughs> Do you have lots of dressing up outfits yourself? Yes. Yeah? Yes. What's your favourite colour? Pink. Pink, okay. Well, I have to make sure. I have to make sure I go and try and find myself a pink dress. So that <laughs> hopefully, when one day, hopefully, me, we'll get to meet, and then I'll remember to wear my pink dress for you. Yay! Would that be nice? <laughs> Amelia, how, how old are you? I'm four. You're four? Oh, my goodness me. It's a very small age, Mila, for to have a big operation. Were you very brave? Yes. Yeah? And you were very yeah. strong girl, weren't you? I think what's really interesting about this is although I think Kensington Palace have really shied away from calling it a rebrand of sorts, this is clearly uh, a very obvious attempt, I would say, to at the very least seem a bit more within reach. Yeah. A bit more personal bit more accessible. This is a side to the Cambridge that I think we'll see more of over the months and years ahead because you know when we look at that sort of the current lineup of working royals it is slim. Um, <laughs> above them are very big boots to fill mm-hmm. and so really it's up to the Cambridges I think to keep that personal connection with the public not just in the UK but around the world Harry and Meghan, I think, left quite a big void when it came to reaching out to younger audiences. That was something they kind of had down pat. Yeah. And I think that it's now up to the Cambridges to really try and and and, and reach that. And I think taking this sort of or modernising the social media presence is certainly a good start. Yeah, exactly. It was. I mean, that video did show them in a much more relaxed, fun modern young way um and let's not forget they also put out that beautiful um video for their anniversary which also showed them having fun and again i think they are trying to appear more accessible definitely in those two things seeing a less formal side to them yeah and i think that we've i I don't know if it's just coincidence but it feels like this week we've seen kate really stand out on her own 
I think the past year we saw a lot of the Cambridges side by side, joining each other on Zoom calls, attending engagements together, and whilst there had been a lot of talk about Kate sort of stepping into a bigger role and what she wants to achieve, we hadn't really seen much of it during the sort of more difficult parts of, of, of the various lockdowns that we had in the UK. Whereas I think now we are seeing her step up a little bit. She's been very busy. Not only has she been active with the Hold Still project, but she also conducted a special interview with, with a midwife for Nursing Times magazine. And this is a sort of rare editorial feature for her because we don't really... So we, well, we haven't seen her do much in print for quite some time. So maybe you can sort of consider her a part-time profile writer now, perhaps. But this was uh, to mark the International Day of the Midwife. She spoke with a Ugandan community nurse midwife, Harriet Nayiga, uh, for the magazine. You know, I think the focus for Kate this past year, and maybe the Cambridge as well, has been very domestic. It's been very UK-focused, of course, whilst this country deals with something very big. And so to see that that sort of lens widen a bit um, is certainly welcomed on my, on my end. Yeah, definitely. And, and I agree, it's nice to see. I was just thinking, you know, she, like everyone else, has been cooped up at home. It must be quite nice to be out and about and doing stuff on your own. And we, when you said we see her sitting next to William on all the Zoom calls, I mean, like all of us, they've been living very, very intensely together and not seeing many other people. And so now... It's a sign that things are slowly opening up in the UK and touch wood, things continue to be okay. Well, I think that just about wraps up what has been a pretty busy week, although I have to admit I've spent most of it still working from home. We talk about sort of easing out of lockdown, but I'm not sure if I'm quite there. You and I certainly haven't seen each other face to face in a while. No, well, yeah, I mean, I haven't really seen anyone for a very, very long time. Um... I've sort of got used to lockdown living and not seeing people face to face. So I might find it a bit of a shock when things do get open up and I have to go out and about and actually talk to people. I definitely found that uh, during all the coverage in Windsor for the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral, there were so many people around and it was such a big sort of media scrum that I just wasn't used to. It was almost sort of overwhelming uh, anxiety inducing at the, at the time but um, it'll, I think it'll be nice I think to, to return to slightly more traditional style of engagement yeah and I, I mean who blame, who, who can blame them we don't, we don't want crowds we don't want lots of people um, and we need to take this very seriously and come out very slowly I think but I do think that when the weather starts to get better um, things will change and everyone will start to come out a bit more and socialise outside better and, you know, everyone will start to cheer up a bit. Exactly. Well, that's exactly it. Stay at home for the time being. Well, thank you guys for joining us again. As always, we'll be with you with another episode next Friday. You can reach Zoe. Where can we find you? Uh, at Zoe Mag, I Think. I'm not really sure what my Twitter handle is. I'm not a big social media person. Well, you can search for her on my Twitter account. I'm at Scobie on Twitter. Big thank you, of course, to the guys in New York at ABC Audio for bringing the show together. Anthony Alley, you are a rock star, as always. And until the next episode, look after yourselves and each other. From Zoe and myself, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Have a good weekend.